Okay. So what we want to do tonight is I want to start by reading the um, just reading the basic story with us and to raise a set of questions about the story and try and give you a sense of what the what the primary um, literary issues that affect our that, that affect what we're discussing are. Then we're going to read um, a, a and Embrashid Rabbah and try and figure out which side of the Machloket works better. Then we're going to read a bunch of attempts to claim there's no Machloket at all. And then we're going to try to, um, we're going to try and put every, put all that back into the story and use it to address um, the question of how you deal with conflicts between um, relation, really, I guess between relationships and spiritual growth is a broader way of saying it than, um, than, fa than family and faith. Uh, and yeah, I think this has been a, a useful framework um, if it, you know, for me, in thinking about um, Shilas that address those sorts of questions where people have um, pre-existing relationships that are where they are, they have loyalty to the past, they have, they think obligations in the present, and then they have a potential direction for the future, which is restrained by those relationships. And that in the end is how I'm gonna read the Avram and Lot story, but we'll see whether that's just an idiosyncratic reading or whether it's uh, a compelling reading in the text and whether it is or is not supported by the Makara. So we take a look at page one. Um, this is just a story. Okay, so we learned in Paragalaf, we learned that Terach um, right, is 70 years old. He gives birth to three children, Avraham, Avram, Nahor, and Haran. Um, and then Haran dies, right? Haran, so Haran gives birth to Lot, or not give birth, Haran sires Lot. Right? And, um, and then, right, so then Haran dies, al Pnei Terach Aviv, so the question is, what does it mean? What does Al Pinei Terach Aviv mean? And why do we repeat So you probably know, right, that um, the Midrash constructs an entire backstory, and we have to have a second backstory, right? So there, so Ur Kasdim literally right, means we're the Chaldeans, but the Midrash understands it as a as also also in a uh, I guess a different literal sense that means the furnace of the Chaldeans, and it builds this whole backstory about uh, Nimrod trying to, to conquer the whole world, and Nimrod, right, and, and the Migdal Bavel is, is an attempt to impose a totalitarian reign, and Abraham is the monotheist, and Nimrod has him, throws him into the furnace, and then Haran can't decide uh, which way he should go, and in the end, Haran gets thrown into the furnace after Abraham is saved, and he's, and he's saved. That's backstory. What does whether you whether if you buy that as uh, the narrative or not, uh, whether you want to read that midrash as part of the as part of the story or as something extraneous to the story, uh, it's clear that Haran dies uh, after having a, after having a child, and, right? And that means that there's a relationship between Lot and everybody else in the family, where presumably everybody else in the family stands in for Lot's father. All right. So Lot is the right, Lot is the not just a not just a nephew and a grandson, but Lot is the kid who doesn't have a father, who everyone else takes care of. Okay, now Avram and Nahor get married, uh, and we see the family is close because it sounds like because uh, Nahor's wife is Milka, and Milka is the daughter of Haran. Chazal say that Avram's wife Yiska is also right. Avram's wife Sarai is also Yiska. You can decide if you want to read it in literally, but it seems like a very very close family. And in this family, Haran is right, Haran is the uh, right is the is the one without a father. Everybody else, or at least all the other males, have to play a father. Okay, Sarai, at Sarai also has no children. I will discover later on, right? This is um, Deborah likes to make a big point of this that after the whole story of Abram and Sarah having trouble conceiving, then we get a, a little note at the end of the right, at the end of the parsha that by the way, Nahor and uh, Nahor and Milka have twelve children, uh, but Nahor and Milka's children are off screen right now. But we know that Avram, because of Sarai's Nakara, Avram has no children, which makes it reasonable to say, well, there's a, there's a, there's a son who has no father, there's a father who has no son, let's put the two together, right? And that Avram is likely to have adopted Lot. And so in fact, right, what happens is Terach takes Avram, his son, and Lot, his grandson, and Sarai. So Terach, Avram, Sarai, and Lot are the new family unit, and they leave Ur Kastim, they go to Canaan, they don't get there, Terach dies. And now Hashem says to Avram, Lech lecha, me artzacha, me mi mi okay, The three things you have to leave, Eretz, 
Moledit and Beit Av, and you find a new Eretz. Okay, El Eretz Asher Eka. We don't know where that Eretz is, right? It's it's the land over the horizon. Um, he doesn't get a new Moledit. He doesn't get a new Beit Av. Right? He does get a new Eretz. Why? Because real estate is a constant. You can't create new real estate. But you can create a new culture, and you can create a new family. Right? So the commandment to Avram is, which means leave your moledit and your bait av behind and go to this right and go to this land. Now the question is, what does it mean to leave your bait av behind? So at least leave your bait right because it doesn't it's not well, so it could be that Avram's supposed to travel alone. Um, right, and that uh, right, Deborah it likes to likes to read it as that um, that means the two people he's basically not supposed to take along are Lot and Sarai because Lot and Sarai are both children of Haran, and Haran is his is his father's family. That's one possibility. The other possibility is that leaving his Beit Av is just means a physical location, but he can bring along whoever comes whoever wants to come with him. Uh, it's another possible, or at least he can take along everyone who's a member of his household. And that gets you very right. That gets becomes ambiguous because Sarai is clearly a member of Avram's household. She's married to him. What about Lot? Lot is a nephew, not really part of his father. Right? Not really necessarily part of his father's house. Part of his right. Part of his his um, his brother's house. But on the other hand, Lot is part of his house. Maybe he's supposed to leave everybody. Right? If he's supposed to leave his whole family behind. But only bring immediate family. So, if he, so maybe he's not supposed to bring anybody. Maybe he's supposed to bring Sarai and not Lot. Um, okay. So what happens, right? So Avram, right? So God promises Avram that all these these great things will happen, right? When he gets the Aras Asher right? He's going to become a Goy Gadol and blessed and all that kind of stuff. So Avram goes as God spoke to him. So there's an ambiguity there. Does that mean that Avram went the way God told him but didn't do the other things? Or does it mean that Avram went into everything the way God told him? So we don't know whether Avram fulfills God's command or not. So that's really interesting language, right? Lot comes with him. What does Avram think about this? Avram goes the way God told him, and Lot comes with him. What's that? What's Lot doing there? I don't know. Right? So Avram is now 75 years old, and we get the Pasuk hey. Avram takes his wife Sarai, and he also takes Lot. So which one is it? Is it that Lot goes with him? And right, or is it that Avram takes Lot? So that ambiguity is going to matter a great deal when you're trying to understand what's going on in that in the story, right? Does go does Lot go with him? Does Avram does Avram take him? Or the fancy version is Lot goes with him and then Avram decides to take him. Right, there's something Lot does that right, right. When Avram sees that Lot is coming with him, he says, "Okay, you can come." And it's not like you know, if you're what you, if you're watching, you know, if, if you're thinking about it cinematically, right? So Avram's caravan sets out, and half an hour later, Lot's caravan right out. You know, Avram, Lot's caravan sets out, and Avram travels. You know, he's going on, and there's Lot's caravan behind him. And finally, at some point, you know, maybe after you know, maybe after you know, after some kind of exciting adventure happens on the road, Avram looks back at Lot and waves. And here's right, and then Lot comes and joins up with him now. Okay, but how does that relate to God's command? Okay. Um, okay, right, then we have these whole stories where he gets, Rabban gets to Canaan, and God appears to him and says, right, I'll give you this land, but God doesn't show him the land. He just tells it to him. God appears to him, and he says this to him, but Avram doesn't get to see the land. He won't get to see the land until a long time later. So then they go down. Then they go down to Egypt. There is no mention of uh, of Lot of Lot in Egypt. There's the whole episode of Sarai. We do get in Paragud Gimel when they come back from Lot from Mitzrayim. It says, "Vayal Avram Mitzrayim, who v'ishto v'chol asherlo v'lot imo hanegba." So Avram is with so Lot is with him when he comes back. We don't know what happens to Lot in Mitzrayim. That's a, an issue for you to solve. Right? Was Lot there in Mitzrayim? Was Lot not there in Mitzrayim? The presumption in Chazal is that Lot is there because we discovered in Pastor K that Lot is also very rich. Um, right? So he must have gotten the stuff. 
from them. But um, okay. So I don't, but I don't think load is mentioned anywhere in the in the uh, in the story. I'm trying directly. I don't think it says that directly. Uh, okay. So now they're back. They go back to the very place they were. Load is with them, and now the land can't handle them at all. Right there. Right there's two. They're, they're right there too. They're too big. They're too big for it. There's a very satirical pasuk about that. Right. If you look at Peregrine Gimel pasuk um, Vav, sorry, Vav Zion says. There's a fight between the shepherds of Rav and the Pedalot. So the two whole nations living in the land then, and they're perfectly fine sharing it, but it's too big for these two people. Sorry, too small for these two people, Avram and Lot. So it makes you wonder about the seriousness of the fight, right? And you, your sense of proportion is all off. How can the land not be big enough for the two of them, right? Right, when the land is big enough for two whole Right for two for two whole competing nations at the same time. Okay, and Avram says to Lot, "Please separate from me." And Lot, right, you know, Lot, Lot, Lot agrees. Avram says, "You get the choice." Lot chooses Stom, because Stom is then the most lush territory in the in the world. And then, right, they have the pasuk, which is really the center of everything. We get the pesukim Yudalot three of Zion in Amperikud uh, Gibel, on the bottom of page one. God says to Avram, after Lot separates, lift up your eyes and you'll see the land, right? So this is the first fulfillment of El Ha'aretz Asher Ar-Eka, right? Avram first gets to see the land that he will get to at the moment that, right, after Lot leaves. And so it's very easy to think that those are connected that until Lot leaves, Avram doesn't get to see it. Of course, there's a little bit of a terrifying thing in that way because the final fulfillment of El Aretz HaSherek happens at Haramariah. Right? So you can read it, right? You can, you, can read, you can read this as in the Lot story and Avram leaving Lot as, an, as a foreshadowing of the Akedah. And that ties into, right, that Ultimately, Avram has to be alone to leave. In order to found the new Beit Av, he has to leave everything behind. But for our purposes, right, so we have a bunch of evidence, right? We have and a couple of points of key ambiguity. One key point of ambiguity is that it's not clear whether Lot, Lot goes with Avram or Avram takes Lot at the beginning. The second issue is we don't really know how seriously to take the fight that leads to the division. And a third, right, and a third issue is that um, there's at least a hint that Avram, that God, Avram doesn't really fulfill God's command of going, um, or he doesn't get to the Aretz, which God will show him, because God doesn't show him the Aretz, until Lot leaves, which suggests that in some way Lot is a constraint on Avram. On the other hand, there is no hint anywhere in the text that God is upset with Avram for having taken Lot with him. Avram is never criticized. Lot comes, Lot leaves, but something happens after Lot leaves. Okay, that's the uh, that's the opening text. Now let's take let's take a look at the midrash on page two. So there's a um, so the midrash Rabbah quotes the following: Hashem Amar El Avram. So Rabbi Yehuda says, "Kaas hayal Avram Avinu b'sha'ash epiresh Lot ben Achiv me'imo." There was anger. And I don't know how to translate that prefix. It was anger li Avraham Avinu. At the time that Lot separated from him. And then we move to God. Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God says, Lakolu bitabik. Avraham sticks to everyone. Lot But he can't stick to Lot. So the simple reading of this Midrash is that God is angry with him because he separates from Lot. So that's a really interesting reading because nothing nothing anywhere in the text suggests this reading. Right? I didn't see any way. God appears to Avram and says, lift up your eyes, right? Lift up your eyes and you'll see the whole land. So where does this metric come from? That, right, that there was anger to Avram because God said, what? I'm assuming I'm punctuating that correctly, but I don't see how else to punctuate it, right? Avram sticks to everybody, but he can't stick below his brother. On the other hand, Rabbi Nehemiah says, Avram 
God was angry with Avram. Here it's explicit. Right when Avram when Lot went with Avram, I said to you, I'm going to give you your your descendants this land. And he's hanging on with this Lot as if Lot is his son. Right? And so, well, why don't you just take two random people to the marketplace and give them the land? Okay, so you have two radically opposite perspectives on the story, right? um, or at least it seems opposite. Rabbi Nehemiah seems to be a good fit in the text, right? That God would, right? except that he mentions anger, and we don't see any hint of anger, right? God never, right? God doesn't criticize Avram at all, so we don't know where that comes from. Um, on the other hand, Rabbi Yudah seems to put something that comes out of nowhere, right? right? That God is angry because Lot leaves, nothing. And nothing that we saw in the text suggested, right? So we have to figure out what motivates both of these midrashim, right? Where do they come from? Okay, the Meshach Chachma, we're continuing on page two. The Meshach Chachma says the following. Right, so the Meshach Chachma comes up with a cool linguistic thing. It says that there's a debate about whether you say acharei, does that mean a long time after, muflag? Or does it mean immediately after? So that's what Chachmas says. It sounds to me like if you say that means a long time after, so that seems to suggest that God went a long time after Lot's departure before talking to Avram. So God must have been angry. If you say that God said to him immediately after Lot left, right, Acharei means immediately after, so then it sounds like God must have been angry that Lot went with him. Okay, so Meshach Chachma has a nice literary way of rooting these two readings, right? That they, they're rooted in the meaning of Acharei, and either way, Acharei is significant. Either it means, either Acharei means, means that God is angry now because he's taking a long time to talk to him, or Acharei means that God was angry then because he's talking to him immediately. Okay, that's very nice. Um Yishmuel, right now we're in, we're in a Hasidic commentary, says the following. Everybody knows that there aren't really arguments. Both sides have to be right. Okay, so that's a, we can talk, we talk, we have, I have a shir where I talk about this, where the, uh, the Mechtav Melio claims this specifically about Agadita. The Gemara itself talks about how this can be true um, right, in the, in, when we're talking about narratives, uh, right, where the Gemara, right, the Gemara says there are two stories as to what went, what went wrong? The Gemara says, how can they both be true? And the Gemara comes up with a story where they're both true. Let's bracket that as an absolute claim. I don't, right, I, I don't think that that is an absolutely true claim, but it's a productive thing to think about. Right? How can you, right? Because both sides have to be motivated. And what motivates both of them might be something that is true in Torah, whether you think it's the most compelling reading of this text anyway. And he thinks that they, right, but he thinks, hang on a sec, but here, they're directly opposite readings of the text. So how can they both be? So he says, We've got to read the Midrash really precisely. Rabbi Yehuda said that Avram Avinu was angry. And Rabbi Nehemia says, that, um, that, that God was angry. So that's a, um, right, so that's a really correct reading, right? Why, what is, why isn't it parallel? It should be they should both say right, that, right, and right, where, where does the anger, right, and Avram's not angry at God on um, the second half, right, so lit can't mean, so right, has to mean that God was, uh, that God was angry, I think, unless you want to read Rabbi Nehemiah saying that Avram was angry with God, seems like a push. So Shemesh Shemuel has a good point. He has a good point. So he says, so he has a beautiful, beautiful solution. He says, so let's say they're not arguing about it because Rabbi, Yehuda, Rabbi Nehemiah is saying what actually happened and Rabbi Yehuda is saying what Avram thought was happening. So Avram is, Avram is angry and he's angry because he imagines that God is saying this. Whereas the second one, is that God actually is angry. Okay, so how do we... He says, uh, we can say, uh, right, only God knows what's really in people's hearts. And he also knows 
that the, the, the way of the world, Seder Olam Hu, is right? there are influencers and influenced, physically or right, physically or, uh, or spiritually. And just like in Gashmias, right, if you want to pour, so you have to pour into something that is below you, that's the way gravity works. So spiritually also, right, you can't pour into somebody unless they are, right, that's his thesis. We could talk about that, right? Maybe it's a super Hasidic thesis, and if we're um, and if we're misnag, then we might think that equals can have, right? Can, right that spirituality is not subject to the law of gravity, and influence can go both ways. And we use different metaphors than gravity, right? But, um, but okay, this is his image, right? He says if you want to have influence, requires a submission on the part of the influenced. Um, okay, but Lot, he says, Lot Right. Lot thought he would be Avram's descendant. And the whole world would be rebuilt from him. So because Lot became arrogant, he thought of himself above Avram. He was Avram's successor. So he couldn't accept Avram's influence. But Avram didn't realize this. Avram thought that Lot was still in condition to be influenced by him. So when Lot left, Avram saw this as a failure. And he thought that God would that God would, would say to him, Avram, look, you're setting out to be Makari of the whole world, and you can't get your own nephew. Right? So Avram is upset when Lot leaves. But the truth is, the truth is, the truth is that God, right, that God is um, not angry at all, because God knew that Lot was not actually open to being influenced by Avram. So Avram feels himself a failure and got right but god actually does not think of him as a uh, as a failure and the truth is that Avra, that the right thing to happen was for lot to leave because he was not subject to influence okay um, but right so right the sorry, the shemesh frames it that's what righteous people do when Somebody leaves because right, somebody leaves in anger. Righteous people blame themselves for having failed to influence, as opposed to blaming the other person. But sometimes there is always you know the difficulty. Some, the righteous people are sometimes and even often wrong because it's not their fault, right? So it's, I'm always um, I'm always nervous when, it's, when when an element of righteousness is to get something wrong. Um, but okay, right? That's that's what the Shemesh uh, Shmuel says. The Tzrohar Mor, now we're dealing with an earlier medieval parish, says, right, says very differently. He says, right, Why does God appear to Avram? Because maybe Avram is afraid, no, now I'm left alone. So the Torah Mar says, maybe Avram was worried that it was wrong because now he's sending Lot off to bad influences. Actually, right, this is along the lines of Shemesh Mol. The Torah says, no. So God comes to tell him, no, you did the right thing. Okay, so right now, right, what we've done is we said, well, he started off that there was a position in the Medrash that said that Avram had done the wrong, maybe Avram had done the wrong thing. The Shemesh Mol says no, right? And the Tzorah more reads it that way also. Avram did the right thing. He's supposed to send Lot away because Lot is beyond help. And it's not Avram's fault that Lot goes off to Stom afterwards. He doesn't have to feel guilty about that. So that's interesting. You know, the place where it's a little bit weak in the text is that we know that Avram goes off you know, later and fights the war, with the, the war with the kings to save Lot. So it does seem as if he feels a certain amount of responsibility. Okay. Um, so the uh, the Be'er Bayim Chaim, which was quoted in, a, in, a, in an anthology called the Lamed Das, it's another Hasidic commentary, says the following. There's a Gemara, uh, there's, a, there's a statement in the Gemara several times where the Gemara is presented with a, with a halachic case, and the, the premise of the halachic case seems to be that I'm supposed to do something that is a chait in order to save you from doing a worse chait. Okay? Um, so, Gemara, right, so the Gemara, the Gemara will say, Do we ever say to somebody, you should sin so that somebody else will, will, right, will gain something? So here too, he says, look. So he takes the Rashi. We haven't seen the Rashi yet, which is my, which is my fault. 
Rashi says that the Rashi says along the Shulchan line that Acharei means immediately after, and it means that God did not have the same relationship with Avram while Lot was with him. Avram's madriga was suffering while Lot was with him. So the Bermayim Chaim says, so we don't tell people to sin for the sake of somebody else's, right, to save somebody else from sinning or somebody else to gain something. So to tell Avram to keep Lot with him because, right, it's not a question that Lot wasn't influenceable, right? That's the big Kiddush is. You might've thought, well, Lot, you might've thought, it might be that Avram got it wrong because he, because he thought he could influence Lot, but he couldn't. It might be that you think Avram's doing, Avram got it wrong because even though he wasn't succeeding in changing Lot, but at least he was keeping him from stone. As soon as Lot leaves, he goes to stone. Bermayim Chaim says, no, maybe Avram could have influenced Lot. Maybe Lot wouldn't have gone to stone. But since when would we tell somebody, you have to suffer spiritually, you can't have the same relationship with God because that other person will be a worse person without you. Right, so the Rebbe Chaim says that we don't have to ask the question of whether Avram could have influenced Lot, right? It doesn't matter because you're entitled to prioritize your spiritual life over somebody else's. And he gets that from the premise of the only thing is, right, that um, if you are halakhist, you know that that rule is not absolute. Uh, right? There are two exceptions that interrelate with each other clearly to that rule. One exception is what happens if the other person is going to do a much worse sin than yours. Right? So, for example, if right, Let's say that you, one of the classic cases is, you put bread in the oven to bake it on Shabbos. Now you become chayav, right, for a biblical violation um, when the bread bakes. I am violating some prohibition, the Gemara calls the Ridiyata Pat, right, it could be, right, whatever you want to call it, some rabbinic prohibition by taking the bread out of the oven before it bakes. So now, should I violate rabbinic prohibition in order to stop you from violating biblical prohibition? Maybe it depends on how great the biblical prohibition is. Maybe it depends whether it was accidental or deliberate. Right? All sorts of things like that. So not, and the other thing, which is really important, the Gemara says that you're not supposed to take, um, you're not supposed to take truma, uh, right? Truma is an agricultural tax. You take it, right? You take X percentage of fruits. So you're not supposed to take truma, right? From disparate um, baskets, right? Yeah, right? I have a basket of apples over here. I have another basket of apples over here. I'm not supposed to take the, take an, an apple is true out of this basket to cover that basket. That's a, a violation of a rabbinic decree. You're not supposed to be toreim, shalom, and mukaf. You're not supposed to take truma from, dis, right, from disjoint um, piles. But what happens if the, the, uh, there's, a, there's a person over there and they're about to bite into an apple from their basket? And you know why they're about to bite, bite without, and that basket still has truma in it. Why? Because they bought the basket from me. And I sold it to them without taking truma. So now, right, they're not going to, right, they're not, they're going to eat it without without taking truma about it, either because they don't know or because they just don't care. And the only way I can stop them is if I take truma from my basket on their stuff, which is a rabbinic violation. So there, you're supposed to do it because it's your fault. So the rule that you shouldn't sin for somebody else, right? You shouldn't sin prevent somebody else from sinning only applies if their sinning is totally disconnected from you. So now we have to think about in the story, to what extent right, is right, does Avram correctly or incorrectly think that what Lot is that Lot's failures are his fault? And that's an issue that shows up certainly anytime you have um, parent-child relationships, right? If your kid does something wrong, is that their fault or your fault? You could have raised them better. And Lot is, in a very real sense, right, Avram's adopted child. Um, so it could be right, that even though the Bermayim Chaim quotes this as what he thinks is a dispositive proof that Avram, right, that, that Avram has no responsibility for Lot, right, and it doesn't matter whether he can influence Lot or not. But if we look at his halachic analogy, it's not so good. Maybe Avram should be responsible. If he raised Lot and Lot is making bad decisions, maybe that's his fault. Okay. Um, the, extreme ver- the, um, the extreme version of the position that I'm arguing against 
is somewhat interestingly found by um, Rav Shamshin Rafal in Rabbi Samson Rafael Hirsch. And you can try and think about whether this has some relationship to Rabbi Hirsch's general ideology of Austrit, right, where the Orthodox Union was supposed to separate. Uh, so he says, all right, he has this typical linguistic claim, right? Right, I'm not going to debate whether that compels whether that's compelling or not. He says, right, this separation between Avram and Lot was a spiritual, it wasn't just a physical separation, it was a spiritual separation, it was a personal separation. Avram is being tested emotionally, watching his nephew leave. Lot um, right, represents the next generation, which, right, is, which is going to live after Avram dies, and Avram is childless. All his hopes are tied up into are tied up in Lot. Now Lot is gone, because Lot prefers Dovin Amorat to him. Right, so all of Avram's life comes crashing down. His whole goal is to create a legacy, and his legacy is leaving with Lot and rejecting all the things that he holds dear. But he said, but now refers says, says, after this bitter occurrence, Amar Hashem Avraham Lech. Hashem says to Avram, go. And I'm not giving this land to Lot. You don't care about, about material stuff the way he does. You're going to get this land. You have no need to hang out at other people's doors. That means Lot. The whole Kirov thing. The whole Kirov thing is a mistake. That's not your job. You have to give birth to the new nation. So this, there are many, many problematic things about Reverse's claim. Uh, right, the extreme version, what does he do with conversion? Right, it's an argument conversion has to be to a group that exists. Reverse sees when God says he means it. Avram has no responsibility to the past at all. His entire responsibility to the future, and therefore, again, it's utterly irrelevant how much influence God could have Avram could have on Lot. All that matters is that Avram has to be has to go achieve what he can uh, what he can achieve. Okay, so the uh, right you have another strong version that's Minchas Yehuda who says that there's actually an, ar- an argument the angels are telling are telling God it's time right it's time to give up on Avram and start the world over again because he can't separate from Lot. And God separates them, right? See, everyone seems to be building on the side of the Midrash that says that God is angry at Avram. The Mikhtav Melio, as quoted in the secondary source, I didn't, I, I didn't find the original, um, says, not quite. Not quite. Right? He has an interestingly complicated, um, complicated version. He says that Lot had two primary character elements, Love of money and love of chesed. This is my English translation of somebody's Hebrew citation of the Nechtav Melios. I don't know that it's that you can safely attribute it to Rav Dessler. Right, so we're in the middle of page three now. Lot had two primary character elements: love of money and love of chesed. He was willing to risk his life and his family's lives in order to do chesed. In order to do chesed, Lot can't give up on Lot, right? Because Lot, when the angels come to stone, Lot risks everyone's life to do chesed. So he hasn't. Lot hasn't given up on Avram. So maybe Avram shouldn't give him on Lot. And Avram was willing to forgo a new a Nebu experience in order to do chesed, right? Because Avram tells the angels, right? In the beginning of Eira, Avram says, tells God to wait, right, according to Rashi, and goes to talk to the angels. So, so the Nithalia so the says, so how could Avram, who cares so much about chesed, how could he push Lod away? So the answer must be, if Avram pushes Lod away with both hands, it must be that he was afraid lest Lod cause him spiritual harm. All right, so Avram must have pushed Lod away because in the end he couldn't sacrifice his own spiritual growth for Lod. But, so far, we're all consistent. But then he says, but had Avram achieved the higher spiritual level, Lot would not have been able to influence him at all. So the complaint against Avram is for not achieving that level. Okay, so Nifton Leo tries to, right, to fudge it both ways, and there is ground for being angry with Avram because it's Avram's fault that he has to push Lot away. Because Avram should have reached a level where he's not susceptible, where he's only influencing Lot and not susceptible to counter-influence. But since he failed to do that, he did the right thing, but the right thing he did was a result of a prior failure. 
Okay, so that at least raises, leaves a little bit of space, but not so much, and I'm not sure I buy this at all because I tend not to believe that there are genuine one-way relationships. And I don't think there should be. Right? Anytime you open yourself up to, uh, to someone else, right, if you, to influence them, you should have to open yourself up, and once you open yourself up, then there's, uh, right, then there's gonna be a chance that they'll influence you. So the notion that there is this state where you can be influenced without being influenced, uh, I guess I have seen teachers like that. I've had teachers like that uh, yeah, who are capable of teaching, but were incapable of hearing anything their students said. And I don't tend to see that as a virtue. So I am not a, not a great fan of this as a reading of the story, but I am, uh, I am um, enthusiastic about his capacity to recognize, right, to find a way in which it's not just in Avram's imagination that he's doing, that he's failing by sending Lot away. It's real that he's failing. It's just what Mr. Malio says, but, he, but he's right to acknowledge his own failure by sending Lot away. Okay, then you have a couple of people, the, um, the Sorna and the Kliakar, who both sort of cut down this routine because they say, you know what? The reason that God says, shows Avram the land after Lot leaves is because that's the kind of thing that if God had shown it to Avram when Lot was alive, it would have been really bad for Lot's for neshama. Because as it is, Lot is, right, Lot's, Lot, Lot is, right, is, you know, right, again, right, Lot is grazing his camels on other people's land because he thinks that Avram's going to get everything else, so it's going to be his. Show him that he owned, that it's going to be all this land and Lot's going to go wild. So according to this Kliyakar and the Sforno, it's not that, it's not Avram's choice to be on a lower spiritual level while Lot is around. It's not a sacrifice Avram makes so much as it is a decision that God makes. That God is willing to allow Avram to live, right? God is not going to raise Avram's level while Lot is around. So that already creates a certain kind of ambiguity, right? So if God makes that decision, right, God could have just come and told it to Avram and then, okay, tough with Lot, right? God could have said, what I care about is Avram reaching the height, and who cares about Lot? But according to the Kleocran's for that's not the case, right? God says that I can't tell this to Avram, even though it's important for Avram's growth, because Lot's still here. All right, so, 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 so we'll just read this for him. We won't read the Kliakari. He says, Lo amarze biyot lot ibo. He didn't say this while Lot was together with him. Pen bichvodo yisiamru biska'u lot v'ro'av lest Because now Avram is so honored by God and he's such a great, you know, he's obviously such a great person, so they'll start stealing even more. Okay. But the Akeda Yitzchak, right now we're in Arvizvaka Rama, 15th century, um, said, right, has a way out of this. What he says is, you're right that God didn't do this as long as Lot was there, but that's why God arranged for Avram, for, for Avram and Lot to fight, because he needed to get Lot out of there because he needed to be able he needed Avram to grow. All right, so if you read the the, the opening um, underlying section like that Yitzchak, he says, God caused it to come about that Avram right that Avram and Avram and Lot would fight, because until they fought. Avram couldn't fulfill Lech Lecha Avicha, and so the right, and so God causes it to come about. But there's always a, a challenge when God causes something to come about that people didn't do. Does that mean that the people should have done it? Or does it mean the people did the right thing and then God had to make it work out? Right? So it could be that Avram failed by not sending Lot away. And so God said, well, you know what? We'll engage in a little bit, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll give, we'll grade on a curve, all right? And I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you, I'm going to, give you the, I'm going to help you get past this. Or it could be that, no, Avram did exactly the right thing. He's not supposed to send Lot away because he's not supposed to choose his own, his own religious self-interest over his responsibility to Lot. But God needs him to come out. So God finds a way in which it's, um, in which Avram no longer has to make that choice. All right, so that's an interesting claim. I should point out, though, so far, right before I get um, before I get ahead of myself, that the only hint we have so far that anybody cares about anything about Lot other than his own spiritual madriga 
is that one line in the Medrash, right? So far, everyone else's conversation has been entirely about whether Avram could influence Lot. Right? No one has talked about anything else in their relationship. And maybe we won't get any further than that. We'll have to see. Okay, so now let's, let's take a look at the Orachayim. We're on page, uh, we're on page four. The Orachayim, I think, develops um, one of the uh, a very sophisticated, psychologically sophisticated uh, portrait. So here's what he says. We're on top of page four. The, the, right, it also means to say that um, right that when it, when God when when God said to Avram Lech Lecha he should leave his land, but not like he left originally right the end of of Parshat Noach, when he went with Terach when he went with his culture and he went with his uh, and he went with his um, with his uh, father. But rather, he should himself leave his land and separate from his culture, even from his father's house. But now he says, Ach Abraham, lo Hashem, but Abraham didn't understand this. Okay, Abraham didn't get it. So why didn't God say it to him again? Why didn't God clarify if Abraham got the interpretation wrong? We don't know. But basically, first interpretation, Lo's not supposed to come, Abraham doesn't get it. Okay. But then there's a second interpretation. He says, Oefshar, Shevin came. But maybe Avram did understand it. Ela shalot davakbo. But that lot clung to him. Lot went with him, right? That's the first brother. Davakbo, right? Then that, he, that meant that lot wouldn't leave. And then, the Hagam Shamara Kharkach Vaikach Avram Vet sorry, Shtovet Lot, even though Asper says Avram took lot. That just means that Avram didn't push him away. He didn't really welcome him. He just didn't push him away. Because Avram didn't want to humiliate Lot. He didn't want to. Right, he didn't want. He didn't want to push Lot away. But he knew that Lot wasn't supposed to be there. So Avram, the entire time, and this is a long story, right? Because we're talking, right? We have because. Avram moves, goes all the way to Canaan, then he moves back down to Egypt, then he comes back up, and now we have the Achari Parid Lobemo. But all this time, says the Arachayim, Avram is looking for an excuse to get Lot away that won't be emotionally damaging to Lot. As soon as Avram finds a small excuse, hey, look, our shepherds are fighting. Take it from our love, he parid that's what Avram immediately says, separate from me. You take the right, I take the left, I take the left, you take the right. It sounds like Avram is overreacting. This is weird. Your employees are fighting, so let's divide the world up between us. Right? You know, like you know, kids in their room, right? We're gonna draw a line down the middle of the room, right? Because we're fighting, right? Because we're fighting over a toy. Doesn't make any sense. So the Rahim says that cycle, the only way the story can make psychological sense to him is that Lot comes along, Avram doesn't want him to come along, but Avram doesn't think it's worth embarrassing Lot to stop him from coming along. So Avram's looking for an excuse. But I want to point out this reading is uh, it takes a long time for him to find this excuse. And all this while, Avram knows that God commanded him. Right, You must go from your father, and yet Lot hangs along, and Avram says, "Oh, okay." So, what kind of decision is Avram? Is what kind of decision is, is Avram making this way, where he is uh, right, where he is sacrificing fulfillment of God's word, so as not to embarrass somebody? Right? It's not, you know. And if we think about it, right, if we think about it in our terms, right, embarrassing is not the right issue. Right, what really is the issue is that Avram finds it hard. All right, Avram finds it hard. He's going to hurt Lot. Right, not going to embarrass. Well, embarrassing is not really the right word. I think anybody. He's going to hurt Lot, and it's not worth it to him to hurt Lot, even though he knows he should. But what does should mean? When it finally happens, as Avram regrets that it took him. 
who knows, right, X number of years to get rid of voters, they say, no, this is what I needed to do. And if Avram had never found a way in which he felt that he was allowing Lot to leave on his own terms, which is really what he's looking for, right? He, has, he gives Lot the choice. Uh, maybe Abraham would, would, right? So that's a, right. That's a much more dramatic claim, right? That um, that sometimes, even right. This is this is what God said you're supposed to do. You right. God said He's going to show you the land. You know that God hasn't shown you the land. So you know that you haven't done what God wanted. But it's going to hurt somebody, and it's going to hurt somebody who has a right to expect better from you. Sovereign doesn't do it. So it seems to me that Rechaim opens up a um, opens up a uh, a much right, a much different um, much different perspective. Okay, here is a right, here is a um, a slightly different reading from the Masei Hashem. Um, right, so now we're I always forget what Masei Hashem is. Where is the nephew? I think of the Maharik. So we're again we're we're in uh, early 16th century uh, Europe. So he says the following. Um, the way we can explain, right here, we can solve the redundancy. First, it says, Lot went with him. Then it says, Avram took him. And when it says that Lot went with him, right, he didn't take him with him. Avram's intention was that nobody from his family would come with him. As God had commanded him. So Avram knows perfectly well, right? Avram knows perfectly well, right? Like the second side in the Kliyakar. Avram knows perfectly well that he's not supposed to take Lot. Aval. But when Lot chooses on his own to go with him, Okay, so the right, the right, he saw in Lot a right, a uh, well, let's say what he saw in Lot. Lot chose to come with him, and now Avram doesn't feel that he can prevent Lot from coming under the wings of the divine presence. So we could read that as saying that Avram has to choose Lot's spiritual life over his own spiritual life. Which you know, directly contradicts the idea that we don't tell people, right? They do the the bare Mayim Chayim's position that you can't tell people to sacrifice spiritually for other people. But the other thing is just, right? This is just part of maybe it's part of part of Avram's calculations. Look, Lot's choosing to come with him, and by choosing to come with him, right? It's not so much a test of Lot's motivations, but Avram knows what's going to happen to Lot if he transcends him away. It's not because Lot's motive is not to serve God, but Avram knows what's going to happen, and by choosing to come with him, Lot imposes the obligation on him, not so much because of the spiritual level, but because he has a responsibility for Lot, and now he's not going to fulfill that responsibility. It wouldn't be the case, even if he had the exact same influence on Lot, if he had, if he had, if he had made the choice as opposed to Lot. But who cares, right? Avram, Avram has the right to choose his own growth over Lot's. But once Lot chooses to maintain the relationship, meaning that Avram puts Lot in a situation where Lot could say, our relationship is over. You know what? You're, you're, you're going on Aliyah. I have a good land. I have a good life here in Chuzlaretz. Right? It's true that, you know, we had a close relationship for a long time. I'll send letters. You'll send letters. But our relationship is not so close that I need to go with you when you, when, right, when you, pick, up, when you pick up stakes and go, and go to a different country. But, um, but if Lot says to him, no, I think our relationship is deep enough that wherever you go, I'll go. So at that point, Avram has an obligation that is rooted. It's not a, calc- it's not a calculus over whose spiritual life is more important. It's a relationship. And Lot cares about the relationship and Lot is invested in the relationship. Once Lot is invested in the relationship, so then um, maybe... Avram doesn't have a right to choose himself, even though five minutes ago he did, because five minutes ago it was his choice, and it wasn't constrained by the bonds of by the bonds of relationships. I think that's the I think that's the the more interesting way of reading the Masei Hashem, 
that Lot choosing to go with him is not because Lot displays his motive, but because Lot uh, in, because Lot activates Avram's obligations towards him by choosing to come with him, and then Avram has to say, okay, well, what's best for Lot? And what's best for Lot matters. Okay. Um, Rebel Yashiv does not read it that way. Right? Rebel Yashiv just reads the extreme version against the Bermaim Chaim, and maybe it's is misnagdim against Chasidim. Rebel Yashiv just says, Kol Avraham Avinu So long as Avram thought it was pointful, Tipelbo, right, so he engaged with Lot, even though Avram knew that as the result of his continuing to engage with Lot was that um, was that he would st- cease hearing God's word. But he, Avram said, what, what right do I have to choose my own spirituality over somebody else's? Kilomar, he kriv gam haruchnis shalo, Avram sacrificed his own spirituality, so then Rav generalizes it in a way which I think is less compelling. He says, Avram's making a choice to sacrifice his own spiritual growth for the sake of this goal of spreading God's kingship in the world. So that doesn't compel me so much because I don't really understand claims Avram sacrificing his own spiritual growth for what he sees as his primary spiritual goal. Right? That seems to me a paradox. A better reading is to say that Avram sacrifices his own goal because he doesn't have a right to, he doesn't have a right to prefer his own growth over Lot's. And the question then is, is it that he has no right to prefer his own growth over Lot's specifically because Lot is in relationship with him or because he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a right to prefer his own growth over anybody else if there's a choice, right? You have to figure out a way in which, uh, right, in which they, um, in which you, ba- you, balance, you balance the rights of each other. And this is like every other ethical issue. Okay, since it's, um, 8.56, I want to move to page 6. Right? Page 5 is about an issue that will turn out, I guess, to be tangential uh, tangential for this uh, for this year. Um, so if you turn to page 6, uh, so I want to take a look at the um, at the Abravanel, which is the last point in the um, in the shir. It says, L'fish Avraham b'hafradat lot because Avram, when Lot left him, felt great suffering and sadness. So I don't think kurva is, you know, means familiar relationship, means that they were close to each other. And Avram and Lot had a real emotional relationship. And also, right, and also because Lot was the uh, because Lot was the last member of his family. Now, God told him and yet at the same time, Avramanel recognizes that Avram's a human being, and so he's sad, and he's sad for two reasons: because he has a personal relationship with Lot, and because Lot is the last connection he has to uh, he has to his family. So in the end, the nevuah comes to him and cheers him up. Um, but at least the Ravenel recognizes that the uh, recognizes that the um, that the the emotional relationships matter. It's not just a calculus for what's best for somebody's soul. I guess we can do one more thing. Rechaim Paltiel, a student of the Ramban, has a fascinating reading. Right, he says all these other people claim that God spoke to Avram after Lot left because Lot was stopping him, but we looked at the narrative and God speaks to Avram as soon as he gets there. He doesn't show him the land, that's not his interest, but he speaks to him, so how can you claim this? So he thinks the right answer is that God only stopped talking to Avram after the fight. Once Lot started fighting with Avram, so now Lot is no longer a tzaddik, and now, right? But until that moment, until they start fighting, Lot is supposed to be with Avram. And God talks to him fine. So now the question is, but hang on a sec. Does that mean that everyone else is wrong and it was and taking Lot wasn't a violation of Or does it mean, sure, it was a fulfillment of God talked to Avram, but he never got to the level of showing him the land. But it doesn't mean, but God didn't stop talking to Avram because God wasn't upset with Avraham that Avraham was making this choice. 
sometimes human relationships are worth spiritual sacrifices. Maybe it's not, it's not even a question of worth it. And it's not a calculus. Of, it's not a calculus of um, whether of whether it's worth it or not. It's a question of obligations that you don't have the you don't have the right to break obligations just because. So the you know, the example that is used in rabbinic literature often of this, I think, is the weird story of the givonim, right? Where Yeshua gives his word to the givonim, even though God said you have to wipe out all the Canaanites, but I promised. Right, so there are right. So sometimes there are other kinds of commitments that override even what a divine command is. So my preferred reading of the story of Avram and Lot in Lech Lecha is that Avram knows full well that Lot is right. That Lot is um, not supposed to come, but because Lot invests in the relationship, it becomes the right thing to do to take Lot. And then we have, right, and then we have what I think is the core um, dispute. The way I would read the Midrash is you have the people who say he's supposed to take Lot, but what God wants is for him to get rid of Lot as soon as possible. That's the Akedat Yitzchak explanation, uh, right? Because this is a, right, this is a, you know, a concession, really, right? Okay, you're not supposed to hurt him, but really we don't want this relationship because the relationship is holding you back. And the other explanation is that, right, which I think is the first position in the Midrash, that no, you have a relationship, you're, you have an obligation to maintain relationships, and you have to figure out how you balance that with, and maybe it means that you're stuck for a little bit while, for a little while spiritually. Uh, maybe it means you're stuck for a long time spiritually, but who says that you should choose your relationship with God over your relationship with human beings? All right, that's a, um, so I just wanted to put this out on the table, um, right, for me, where it came up often, right, is, is you know, that this shows up in, showed up when I was, when I was uh, you know, a rabbi um, in Hillel, it showed up, um, it shows up in Beitan all the time, is often one of the major causes of, rela of relationship struggle is when you get married or right, you're in, where you have friendships and things like that, and you change over time, and it gets to the point where one party is where they are, and the other party wants to go somewhere else, but going that somewhere else is really going to mean cutting off the old relationships. And so you can have a vision, right, with, um, which says that, uh, well, that's not right. So if the other person is holding you back, how could you say that a human relationship is entitled to hold you back? Right? How, you know, I need to keep, you know, and, and there are all levels you can do it, right? I need to, I need to keep this humra. Well, that's one kind of thing. I need to keep this halakha. That's another kind of thing, right? Uh, right. I, you know, I, I want to go learn Torah. I want to go, right? I want to, you know, there, there's a, C.P. Snow has a, has a powerful novel about a Catholic who decides that he has to basically give away all his property and, right, and live, and live as an ascetic. But his wife is very used to an upper middle class life. Um, right, so she's not willing to go along with that. So is he right? Right, is he right to say that? Well, this is where this is where my relationship with God leads me, and so none of that, um, so none of that matters. Um, so I, I think the story of Avraham and Lot is a great way to think about those sorts of questions. That it shouldn't be obvious that the immediate answer is, although right, but I can't say that that is out of the tradition. But I think that there are enough voices that allow the possibility of saying, we don't, you know, if you're struggling with this, you're supposed to struggle with this. It doesn't mean that the, the answer is obvious because maybe sometimes you're supposed to limp along spiritually. Maybe you have to wait till you have, right. Maybe the, you have to wait till God finds a way to right to separate you. Maybe you have to wait till you find an excuse to separate you. Maybe, maybe you're supposed to make it work as long as you can, um, because somebody, right? Somebody came with you right through all the vicissitudes of your life and they supported you through really hard times and you can't just leave. Now. If they don't care about you, so the relationship is breaking down anyway, right? You know, in a real relationship, the other party wants you to grow also. So, right, so it might be with good faith, there's a way through it. But I wanted to, I think too often this is presented as a very easy way out, and there isn't really, uh, and if you just use the language of halacha, it's too easy, right? There isn't really a way to, to think about it humanly, and I think this narrative gives you a way to think it through. Okay, that's the end of my spiel. Yes, Jenny. Speaking from an, I'm can you hear me now? Yeah. I'm speaking from a really uneducated point. Um, other than 
the laws about how you treat your fellow man and things like that. Is there any place else where relationships of this sort that you've been talking about appear? Well, so that's a really good question. The Rambam, uh, right, the, the, the Mishnah Pergeva says, right, acquire a friend for yourself. And the Rambam talks about how friendship is perhaps the most important relationship in life. Um, um, right, you know, that, that's uh, right, Rabbi Gottlieb was principal of Maimonides, right? I think that, that, was his, uh, that was his doctorate, was on, the, was on friendship as it plays through in, uh, as it plays through in, uh, in rabbinic sources, you know, from, from Aristotle's concept of friends are what, are, you know, friends are what you count on to make yourself better. So there is right there, you know, this plays out in, um, I think it's also something where Gottlieb is very into, right? The, the P.S. Esther's um, Conscious Community is the English translation, um, right? Where there's a work about how, you know, how, you know, how a spiritual community is supposed to help each other grow. But those are all places where everybody is engaged in growth, right? They're ways, right? That's the, the nature of that kind of friendship. Relationships just because they, they are, um, pardon? That's also very different though, because you can have a friend who um, is not necessarily in the same spiritual place that you are. Um, so you don't have that kind of a, a connection but you can still have a good friend where you can help each other out. You know, for instance, I'm Shomer Shabbos. I can have a friend who's not Shomer Shabbos, but who's a good friend and would do anything for me. You know, um, I have friends who I found out are sick, and even though I'm not traveling in a car or being with anybody, I have offered to go and be with them if they need the help. So you don't have to be the same place. Right, but what happens if, let's say, right, let, you know, that, we, you know, let, let, you know you, it turns out, right, that, um, that this friendship, you know, this friendship, this friendship grew up, let's say, right, you know, before you, you know, before you were, before you were fully orthodox. And so this mm -hmm. friendship grew up around restaurants that, right, around restaurants that, you know, that like a vegetarian restaurants, okay, like without implicating anyone's practice or whatever, right? They're vegetarian unheftered restaurants. And that really has enormous emotional resonance for the other party in the relationship. And it would really seem a breach to them if you stop going there, um, right? What happens if, you know, if let's, you know, if you, you build a relationship around, you know, around going to various cultural events that are halakhically problematic? Um, right, so now you have a chance, right, so now, you know, you hope you'll eventually evolve the relationship to a place where you find a kosher restaurant, uh, right, they're fine if you go and don't eat, right, you'll go watch G-rated movies, but right now that's not where it is. Right now, right, right now, mm -hmm. what's going to, what's going to be is, right, that they're, they're holding you back, right, they're causing, right, there are things that you think you've moved beyond, and they make you, right, and they, and you know that you're, they're, Right, that doing those things right, makes you not quite who you want to be. But on the other mm -hmm. hand, you have to be re have to be realistic about it, right? That if you stop doing those things, that's going to harm the relationship. So I think those are hard choices. Right? That's what I'm trying to say. I don't, I don't, I'm not in any way saying I know the, the answer isn't obviously maintain the relationship. You know, you can easily say, right? And I think that's a part of what the depth of these commentators are saying. You know what? In a relationship, right? If you're being held back, eventually the other person is going to realize that, and they're going to create and they're going to create space. Or eventually there's going to be a fight and they're going to realize, right, you're both going to realize this isn't working anymore. It's not giving you what you need because the relationship has to enable both people to grow. But what mm -hmm. you do in that middle space, right, when it hasn't yet become clear, uh, right? So I, I just, and again, you know, how you deal with it as a post-sake is one thing. Um, but it seemed to me that it's val there's a value in having a narrative that you can have in your head and saying, I understand why this is valuable. Mm -hmm. And whether it can be claims out of the past, right? Um, right. There's here's a story where look, he, you know, where Avram can look at it and say, look, Lot came with me and Aliyah. Right? He didn't come with him and Aliyah when Israel was already, when Israel was already a, was already you know one of the, was already a startup nation. He came with with me and Aliyah when Israel was a socialist backwater. You were using Asimonim, right, in uh, in telephones, right? And that was really hard. And you know, and it's great that you know, it's great that now you're telling me, but I have to. 
Right, you know, right now I'm a, now I'm a Rosh Hashiva and I have to, right, and I have to, you know, I have to walk the walk and talk the right, and talk the talk, and it'll be a bad image for everybody, and they'll hold myself back if I, right, if I go to sports bars with him. But um, right, but you know what? But he came with me, and maybe that's what I have to do. Right, so I'm giving, I'm giving, you know, giving very trivial, very trivial examples, right? You know, they're much harder questions. Uh, you know, the much harder questions are, you're married. And one of you wants to keep, you know, one of you in the middle of the marriage starts wanting to keep Taras Mishpacha. And right, and the other one says, I'm really, really not ready for it. Right, those are, right, those are the kinds of questions that um, are really, really hard. But at the very least, I think that what we have to say is, it's not, you can't say to somebody, well, okay, you know, they're not keeping Allah, so then just leave. Right, the relationship, the relationship has a, right, the relationship has power. And I think that can, right, and I think then you have to figure out how to translate that into halacha. Um, mm-hmm. Right, I think there are categories, but it takes work. I did a little bit of that, and this time because I have to get my essay out for Israel, so this time the essay is done before the shear, <laughs> as opposed to usually, where they, you know, previously where the shear has been coming out of the been coming out of the essay. Um, but I think that that's that's the move I'm trying to make, and I mean, it was, and it's and I start, when I read this story as a. Um, as a, as a young rabbi, I was trying to find ways to have empathy, uh, right? So I found it very helpful in thinking about those sorts of shilas. I had a narrative in my head that could validate where people were coming from. Mm-hmm. No, I, I like the way you presented it in terms of what was the reason that Avram kept, no, uh, kept with him and the thoughts and everything else, because I think it really does give us something to look at with struggles that we have within our relationships. And the fact that there's so many ways to look at it, which is what all of, you know, Torah is all about, I think is really helpful to, to just kind of figure out where you are and what you're comfortable with. All right. Thank you. That it worked. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate it. All right. Thank you very, very much. Always Thank a pleasure. You. All right. Uh, well, let's honor or tell your Andrew, whoever it is on the other line, have a question. Uh, have a great Shabbos, everybody. And I look forward to seeing you again soon. You too. Bye.